are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama, Thursday edition of On the Line, and it's a packed show for everybody today. We're actually going to open it up talking a little Auburn basketball as the Tigers announced and released its full 2021-2022 schedule, and let me tell you, it's a nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh yeah anytime anytime though i will say anytime we get some uh, auburn basketball information it's always exciting now the, the the flanagan injury obviously is not exciting but whenever we get like schedules and announcements and stuff like that it's always fun we'll have zach blackerby of the locked on auburn podcast coming up at 2 30 as well to speak to him about this upcoming weekend's matchup for auburn football against alabama state as well as even looking ahead to penn state because he had a lot of strong takes about the Penn State Nittany Lions. So stay tuned for that at 2.30. Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast, as well as today, gentlemen, we pick NFL football games. It is the start of the NFL football season as Auburn South, also known as the Super Bowl defending champions in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they host the Dallas Cowboys. And it's going to be a really fun matchup. And like you mentioned, it's Auburn South. It's just Auburn 2.0. It's the professional version of Auburn. <laughs> Let's start off with Auburn basketball releasing its full 2021-2022 schedule. Lance, first impressions of this before I run through it from top to bottom. Like you said, man, it is tough. And I think when you look up and down the schedule, it's like, man, it doesn't really feel like Auburn has a break anywhere and you and I were talking about this off air earlier. It's like maybe the perception of this SEC schedule is like maybe how other Power Five conferences, Power Six conferences, have viewed their schedules in the past. Like the ACC and the Big Ten. If like is is this how their their teams feel whenever they look at their schedule? Is the SEC just at that level now to where every single game is just not a, not going to be a fun matchup? I think we're at that point. I think the SEC is going to be really good this year. And you look up and down the schedule, and, and man, oh man, is it tough. All right, everybody, brace yourselves. 31 games in a row right here. Tigers open up on November 9th at home with Moorhead State. They'll stay at home for their second game against Louisiana Monroe. Then they'll take a road trip down to Tampa, Florida, where, fun note here, that Christian Clemente, friend of the program of AuburnSports.com, he comes on the show tomorrow with us. He uncovered this note. The SEC tournament is played in Tampa, Florida this year. Auburn will head down there to play USF for their third game of the season after that it's time for battle for atlantis in the bahamas you'll take on uconn in the first round after that it's loyola chicago or michigan state depending on what direction you've gone in the bracket and then all the way into the third game of the tournament the other side of the bracket will feature arizona state baylor syracuse or vcu after that auburn will return home for what appears to be a very interesting week that week where you're wrapping up classes getting ready for finals Auburn will take on UCF a team that beat them last year and then they'll also face Yale 
one of the better teams in the Ivy League. After that, you go to Holiday Hoops Giving in Atlanta, Georgia to take on Nebraska in a neutral site. You'll return home against North Alabama. You'll play a road game against St. Louis, and then you ramp up the non-conference schedule with a home game against Murray State. Impressions there, Lance? Yeah, I think this non-conference slate is actually going to be a lot of fun. Against Again, you get to play you know, uh, UConn, Arizona State, Loyola, Chicago, Michigan State, Baylor, Syracuse, VCU. You're going to play either Loyola or uh, Michigan State if you get to beat UConn. Getting to play any of those teams after UConn would be just an incredible matchup in the Bahamas. Then you play UCF. Yale is no slouch. Nebraska, you have to go to St. Louis. They're not a bad basketball club. Murray State, uh, former home of John Morant. I mean, this is a, this is a fun non-conference slate. And very winnable. The takeaway that I have when I look at the non-conference slate is no more than three losses. I'll probably be disappointed with a loss in there if they get to three losses because they'll have either gotten swept and battled for Atlantis, which will be very sad for me. I feel like Auburn missed a major opportunity. Or they'll have lost to a team on their non-conference schedule outside of the battle for Atlantis that I think Auburn is vastly superior to that team in talent. There's no other team outside of the battle for Atlantis on this non-conference schedule where you can look at it and say that team is more talented than Auburn. So I'll be very disappointed if Auburn comes away with more than three losses. Honestly, I probably will be disappointed if Auburn comes away with three losses in non-conference play. I should say peg it two or less is where I'm really looking at it, where I'd really like to see this team at, but no more than three, and I think that there's something to build off of. Yeah, absolutely, and I will say I agree with you. Outside of the battle for Atlantis, Auburn should – they should be favored in all of these non-conference games, but I will say I think it's a good non-conference slate because some of these games should, at least on paper, be a little competitive. I know that Auburn's going to be talented this year, and I know they've got a lot of pieces, but like trips to St. Louis, you get to play Nebraska. I know they're not a good Big, big Ten B- team at all. Like They, they returned their year, top six scores. But they return a lot of production, and it, it's in Atlanta. It's in a neutral side. It should be fun. UCF and Yale, I mean, Auburn are, is better than those teams, but again, it's going to be a fun game. Auburn may not lose those games but as you said competitive and things may be put on film where you can look at it and say oh Auburn needs to improve in this area there might be certain aspects of the game that challenge the Tigers now let's move into the doozy of an SEC schedule that the Tigers were revealed today they open up SEC play at home against Will Wade and the LSU Tigers they will follow that up with a road trip to Columbia, South Carolina to play the South Carolina Gamecocks, come back at home for Florida in Auburn Arena. Then you've got a midweek game on the road, mind you, a midweek, a midweek game on the road at Alabama on a Tuesday night on January 11th. And then after you follow up the Bama game in the midweek on the road, you have to go to a place where Auburn definitely doesn't play well, Oxford, Mississippi. You go and take on Ole Miss that Saturday on the road. Yeah, and that's just... That First is a, five games, brutal. That's a brutal start to the, to the SEC slate. Like you mentioned, LSU is a really good basketball club. They may finish top four or five in the SEC this season. Auburn really struggles out on the road at South Carolina. Aside from last season, I mean, last season they scored over 100 points, but typically under Pearl, it's not been easy going in Columbia. Then you play at home against Florida. Florida is always a tough opponent for Auburn, whether they're at home or on the road. Alabama... Auburn doesn't win very often in Coleman Coliseum. That's going to be a tough one. And then Ole Miss, like you mentioned, Auburn has struggled there recently. Looking at these first five games of SEC play, I said to myself, what the heck, SEC? Do you hate us? 
what 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 are we doing here don't you want Auburn to succeed should be one of your more successful and better programs this year in the conference but I want to go and focus in on that South Carolina game I see that game as a potential trap game I put it in exclamation points Admiral Akbar is playing in my head from Star Wars right now oh no it's a trap because not only does Auburn traditionally play not so well in Columbia South Carolina those Frank Martin coach teams they are tough they pound you in the paint you've got the LSU game prior to that at home that's not going to be an easy game maybe you're a little mentally fatigued possibly you lost that game against LSU earlier in the week going on the road to Columbia South Carolina is not going to be an easy trip and it's not like it was last year when you got to play South Carolina in the middle of the SEC stretch where you you had already played four or five six SEC games already this is a fresh South Carolina team going into their second SEC conference game that is probably going to be looking to make a statement and what better place to do that than at home and we have watched several times Auburn go to Columbia and South Carolina be able to do just that yeah Auburn's not won there since 2014 and like you mentioned this Frank Martin squad they like to play physical. They like to get. They like to hack you. They're okay with getting in foul trouble. They're okay with going deep into the bench. They're okay with putting teams like Auburn on the free throw line and making them earn it. Traditionally, under Pearl, Auburn has not been a great free throw shooting team. So whenever Auburn and South Carolina match up, I absolutely hate it because it's a long game and Auburn's going to end up shooting a lot of free throws. And I, I just don't want don't, don't want to watch my team get put in that position. Yeah, like you said, this could be a potential trap game. I don't like where this falls in between LSU and Florida. Florida. that's a tough tough first five game stretch I want to make a correction to something that you just said I know you didn't mean to say it but you said they hadn't won in Columbia since 2014 they won in Columbia last year right. but prior to last year's prior meeting to, it had been yes 2014 my, my bad. moving on from that first five games which is an absolute nightmare you get to host Georgia after Ole Miss then you return for another stretch of six games where all where four of these six teams may be ranked you host Kentucky you're at Missouri home games against Oklahoma and Alabama once again Alabama midweek game on a Tuesday there then you're at Georgia and at Arkansas once again four of these six teams may be ranked this is the second doozy of a stretch of SEC games where it's not easy no it's not you you continue down the schedule and you think is there going to ever at any point be like a, a breath of fresh air is there a reprieve kinda, yeah do you get to slow down at any point and get like a Vanderbilt or something like that do you get back to back to back games where it's like oh I feel confident in Auburn going two and one or three and oh over this stretch again you continue to look down the the SEC you look at these this conference from top to bottom and it's like I just feel like it's just gotten a lot better over the past couple of years and I don't necessarily think we're looking at this and saying oh it's tough because Auburn's bad I think it's tough because the conference has elevated their game to the point where it's all really competitive now you go down to the last seven games of the SEC schedule right here this is where it does lighten up a little bit right but there are some potential trap games thrown in here there are going to be some top 25 teams in here these are the last seven games of the SEC schedule after you faced Arkansas on February 8th on that Saturday you come back at home against Texas A&M Auburn on a Saturday at home I have a hard time picking against them you follow that up with a home game against Vanderbilt that's your reprieve of the SEC schedule right there is those two games and that's a chance for Auburn to maybe right the ship if something happened to have gone wrong in the six games prior to that after Vanderbilt at home you're on the road at Florida on a Saturday night that's a chance for Auburn after after you've played A&M and you've played Vanderbilt you're going on the road I think you're able to 
put a lot more of your mental faculties, put a lot more of your focus on that Florida game. That's a good spot for that Florida game to be at. I'm not too concerned about that. When you follow that up with a home game against Ole Miss on a Wednesday, and then you go to Tennessee, you're on the road against Mississippi State as well, and then you wrap up the regular season with a home game against South Carolina. Not many of those teams, I think really only one of those teams across that last seven is going to be ranked. I think you look at Tennessee being the ranked team out of that last group of seven. Maybe Ole Miss, maybe Florida shows out this year. They get into the top 25. Florida had a lot of guys transfer out of the program. Ole Miss is still building up. I think Tennessee's the one ranked team in that group. If you're looking for a reprieve on the schedule and for Auburn to maybe get hot going towards the SEC tournament, that back end right there, those last seven games, that'll be where if Auburn's got any type of hole that they're trying to dig out of, in the SEC standings, that's where they're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Texas A&M and then Vanderbilt and then to finish the season at Mississippi State and then against South Carolina. Although I will say that Texas A&M matchup, I just went and looked it up and I, I, I went through their entire series history just to make sure I was correct. I don't think Auburn's ever beaten A&M at home. Well, actually, the, the, since 1990, rather. Since 1990, they've not beaten the Aggies at home. They've, they've, can, they've lost, 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 and then last year or rather in two, yeah in, in 2020 we all remember the 75-78 loss towards the end of the season I believe that was senior day and Auburn just choked that was the last basketball game I've attended that was a sad, since the coronavirus that was a sad basketball game I hated that game so much you can see the sadness <laughs> on my face it was not a good time <sighs> that but, was like a week and a half before everything shut down but yeah looking through the series history Auburn's not beaten A&M at home since 1990 so you think that's a little bit of a reprieve but uh, traditionally Auburn's not been able to win that matchup but I will say this team this year is going to be exceptionally talented and I think when you look at A&M and Vanderbilt back-to-back you would assume Auburn goes 2-0 and at least right now going back to our impressions of this entire Auburn men's basketball schedule and specifically looking at the SEC schedule for Auburn I brought up that you're looking at the first two-thirds of the season is incredibly difficult with the way that it was ordered. It's not incredibly balanced. The first two-thirds of the season's your tough games. Your last seven, you're looking at an easier stretch. But I also think we talked about how there's not really a reprieve in here. It is like a minefield with trap games. I, I can look at several games on here and immediately catch my eye, oh, that's a trap, oh, that's a trap, oh, that's a trap, oh, that one's a trap. I go to January 4th, game two. We already talked a little bit about how difficult that one could be against South Carolina on the road. After that, fast forward a couple of games, and you're on the road at Ole Miss after you play that Tuesday night game, which is going to be a battle against Alabama earlier in that week, and that one's on the road. Though That week right there, January 11th and January 15th, that entire week of basketball for Auburn, that is going to be huge. On the road at Alabama, the first meeting, the first Iron Bowl of basketball of the year, and then you're also taking on Ole Miss after that, which, talk about a place where Auburn doesn't play well at all, Oxford, Mississippi. If Auburn doesn't get out to a hot start, you know, I would be concerned heading down the stretch what Auburn's going to look like as a team. Of course, Bruce Pearl teams traditionally start out a little bit slow, and then towards the end of the season, they, uh, all, at least Auburn teams have, they've kind of gotten together, and the chemistry is built together, and they, they're firing on all cylinders, which I think is a good thing when you look at the way the schedule sets up, because as we talked about, towards the back end of the schedule, things start to seem to get a, l- a little bit easier uh, here and there. So yeah, if Auburn can survive those first five or six games of SEC play, I think they will be just fine. Other potential trap games thrown in here. 
January 25th on the road at Missouri, I think, is a potential candidate, mainly because it's sandwiched in between some major basketball games. Mm -hmm. You've got a home game against Kentucky the Saturday before. Say Auburn wins a big-time game there, which Auburn Arena will be rocking. Great for Auburn that they get Kentucky on a Saturday because, once again, I have a hard time picking Auburn in Auburn Arena on a Saturday afternoon, evening, morning, doesn't matter. If it's Saturday in Auburn Arena, Auburn's got a pretty good chance to win that basketball game against whoever it may be. But then you follow that up with Missouri on a midweek game on the road where that could be a little bit of a come down type of game. You're switching from the home atmosphere of Auburn Arena and how hype it's going to be to a Missouri team that I think is going to be pretty down this upcoming year. And now all of a sudden you're on the road. And then not to mention you're looking ahead potentially to the weekend when you've got the Big 12 SEC Challenge against Oklahoma at home, and then right after that, you've got a home game against Alabama. So much could be put on the following two games after that Missouri game that you could overlook the Tigers a little bit. And Conzo Martin has his bunch, no matter how bad of an offensive team they may be most years, they know how to play defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely a game you can look at. Another game that I think you could potentially look at is that Ole Miss game sandwiched in between road games to Florida and Tennessee at the end of the year as a potential trap game because, look, Auburn, home game on a Wednesday. Home game on a Wednesday. And then also, I've seen Auburn in person struggle against Ole Miss at home. You remember that time Auburn only scored 55 points? It was just a year or so ago. And I think Chumo Kiki was the star of that game, but Auburn only made it. Yeah, 55 to 60 was the final. And in 2019 Auburn has not been able to uh to keep up with the Rebels it feels like both at home and on the road over the past few years it's been a struggle in that matchup and I would not I would not consider that a uh, a a lockdown win for Auburn I don't disagree with you there I also want to look ahead to the road game against Mississippi State at the hump mm -hmm. the second to last game of the season I think that's another potential trap game I didn't put any home games on here as a trap game my reason for that Auburn feels good in Auburn Arena they're going to shoot the basketball well they know their backdrop they're going to play well in Auburn Arena so I don't really view those if anything Auburn's going to be looking forward to getting back to home right so that's why I'm not all the way there with you on Ole Miss I understand though saying hey Auburn doesn't play well against Ole Miss ever and you're right it doesn't matter whether it's home or away with that team that's always a tight game it's a rivalry game it's one of the teams that you play twice every single season so so you're not wrong Fast forward a couple of games, you get on the road to Mississippi State, second to last game. It's on a Wednesday night. Something about playing a Ben Hallen coach team on a Wednesday night on the road at his place gives me the heebie-jeebies. And it's not, yeah, it's not going to be fun because you look at this series history. I mean, Auburn, the, the games have been really close against Mississippi State. It's always been something, whether it's been like, oh, it's an offensive shootout. You look at the 98-92 when Auburn had at home uh, just a couple of years ago, or it's been an incredibly defensive affair, even though the score might not have shown it. I remember a couple times in the past where it would just been, man, Auburn and Mississippi State can't get anything going right now offensively or at the free throw line. And it's just been a struggle. It's like South Carolina, but in a different way. It's just, it's just not a brand of basketball I think Auburn is accustomed to playing and it's it's just a, always a tough out number to call 334-321-1390 our text line at 334-564-1840 anything that's on your mind in the sports world what are your impressions of Auburn basketball's full 2021-2022 schedule if 
you missed us breaking it down right here go and find the podcast on demand apple podcast google podcast spotify stitcher iHeartRadio. radio if you're searching for that schedule you can go and find it on auburntigers.com easily available you can find that easily just a simple google search it's a tough one we want your impressions of it and anything else going on in the sports world we want to hear from you we'll be back with more of on the line in just a moment You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Just wrapped up our conversation about Auburn basketball's full 2021-2022 schedule. It's a tough one. This is one of the toughest Auburn basketball schedules I have seen in recent memory we want to know your impressions of it your concerns your comments maybe you think it's a huge opportunity we want to hear from you I want to keep talking a little Auburn basketball here of course earlier in the week we heard about Alan Flanagan's surgery to repair his Achilles for that injury out 12 to 14 weeks after this surgery how does this impact Auburn well, you look at the positions that Flanagan played, it's the two or three spot, right? And so you, the question you have to ask is, who is going to be replacing Flanagan's minutes at those positions, and are they going to be able to be as consistent as he was whenever he played at, uh, played for Auburn? Obviously, everybody knows, jumped from 3.2 points per game to a little over 14, I believe, from his freshman to sophomore year. A leader for Auburn, incredibly athletic, shot the ball pretty well for Auburn. Uh, he's somebody that stepped into a role that he was not comfortable with last last season in point guard. He, I don't think he handled it too poorly. Um, but you look at the two and three spots specifically, and you're looking at Devin Cambridge, Jalen Williams, Zeb Jasper coming in potentially to fill those minutes. Chris Moore, another guy that could fill those minutes. But I think at the end of the day, you look at those guys. I don't know if in, any of those four guys are going to be able to collectively amount to what Flanagan was able to do on the court. Now, Jasper, maybe. Uh, I've not seen him actually play at Auburn yet, so that's yet to be determined. But after seeing Cambridge and Moore and Williams, I think they all do different things really well. I'm really excited to see what Jalen Williams and Chris Moore look like. I'm not saying that they're bad players. I've heard a lot of good things about Chris Moore over the offseason. Apparently, he's slimmed down. He's developed a little bit of a three-point shot. He's become more comfortable with, with the ball. But Nickname Threemo. Yeah, so I, I think they all do di- things well. But having not having Flanagan as a leader out there and having all of those things that these guys collectively do better or good in one player in Flanagan, I think, is a detriment to Auburn's offense and defense because you talk about Flanagan as, as a defender, he was one of Auburn's best. Fortunately for Auburn, they do have a nice influx of talent that can score the basketball, namely Jabari Smith who is the key to all this and how Auburn is going to approach a new lineup that does not feature Alan Flanagan his versatility to play either the four or the three Jabari Smith comes out of high school as a guy who can play both of those positions look to be factoring in to play the four and now I think he could end up playing the three if Auburn elects for the first half of the season to go with a larger lineup you could be looking at a big lineup of Zepp Jasper at point guard Katie Johnson at shooting guard Jabari Smith at small forward, Jalen Williams at power forward, and then Walker Kessler at center. And that would be an incredible match, or an incredible starting five to watch, right? I mean, it's still a really, really good basketball club, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see Auburn get up and down the court with that size. But again, just not having that leadership, you know, 
we've talked about it so much before on the show. Something that Pearl is so good at is developing that chemistry between guys, right? And you've got to have that blend of youth and experience, and you got to have that blend of leadership and followers. And to not have Flanagan for the first twelve to, or for for the next twelve to fourteen weeks as Auburn gears up towards the start of the season. I think that's a detriment to Auburn's chemistry because we talked about, you know, Auburn teams traditionally start slow and then they build up and then at the end of the season they're really good and they know how to play well with each other. Not having that leader on your team, I know that Auburn's got those leaders on their team, but Flanagan was one of them. And not having that guy, I think it is a detriment. Of course, you also wonder, and we've talked with Christian Clemente a lot about this, Alan Flanagan is not one of the vocal leaders on the team. So I don't know what you're losing in terms of not court leadership because you can lead by example and you can lead by action and Alan Flanagan certainly did that but from a vocal standpoint there are other guys that are going to be able to step out on the floor and I think pick up the slack maybe left now from Alan Flanagan's injury in terms of vocal leadership I think there are guys who can fill that void but I totally understand I don't know who's going to fill the void from a point scoring perspective I bring up that big lineup I think if Auburn goes big, you're hurt a little bit from a pace of play. Now, all we've heard about Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler is that these guys can fly up the floor. They move really well. That pace of play is not going to be a concern. But that was with Alan Flanagan and one through three on this roster being smaller and being able to move up the floor really well as well. Now you're looking at potentially three through five. That is much larger. That's going to slow down your pace of play. Jabari Smith is not going to be a primary ball handler moving the ball up the floor. Alan Flanagan was somebody that could bring it up the floor if you needed him to. Now you're brought down to just two guys if you go large. So I wonder if that is the direction that Auburn decides to go because traditionally Bruce Pearl wants to move. One of his least consistent basketball teams, I felt like, since Auburn got good, not the first couple of years with Bruce Pearl, but after Auburn goes to the Final Four, you look at a team with Austin Wiley in the front court, and he was the primary starting center. That team was much slower, but also far more inconsistent throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Although I will say, I think Auburn... It does have pieces waiting in the wings. Like I think you've, yeah. you've got guys like Cambridge and Katie Johnson and Jasper and even Wendell Green could potentially be swapping uh, swapping back and forth at, from the two to the one. I think you've got guys that can still run the court, and if you want to go large, I think you can. But all we've heard about, like you said all offseason, is the fact that Smith and, and Kessler are able to get up and down the court real quick. I think – that's partially because you got three guards behind you right but I also think that Auburn has enough guards still on roster to make it happen now is losing Flanagan from a point scoring standpoint a a, a detriment yes but I think Auburn's got still has the speed on roster and if they want to make it work I think they can the next lineup you could go to is experience we have seen Bruce Pearl oftentimes he loves Devin Cambridge he absolutely adores Devin Cambridge you can see that in the playing time and sometimes Those of us out there are wondering when you see the guy shooting 31% from three, he hasn't been a consistent scoring option, sometimes a liability on defense. You wonder Devin Cambridge getting slotted in here at small forward if that's the best fit, but I do think you could see a lineup of Zepp Jasper at point guard, KD Johnson at shooting guard, fill in Allen Flanagan's spot with Devin Cambridge. Your power forward, still Jabari Smith, and Walker Kessler, your center, and all you've done is exchange your small forward position. 
And at the end of the day, I think you can do a lot of shuffling on the on this roster because Auburn has so much talent. It's something that we were so excited about heading into the season after Auburn got all of these transfers minus Desi Sills after he decided to decommit and go to Arkansas State. It's like, wow, most of Auburn's starters from last season are going to be either playing bench roles or are going to be splitting time starting with these really talented transfers that are coming in. Having that depth is important because you will lose a guy like Alan Flanagan at some point in the season. We all we saw Auburn go, go through a rash of injuries and issues at the point guard position last year. Things happen. So whenever you lose a guy like Flanagan, you've got to be able to have the depth on roster for other guys to step up and play. And again, collectively, like I said at the start of the segment, I think Auburn's got the guys to, to make that happen. On the other side of this break, we talk with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast. He gives us a preview of this weekend's matchup with Alabama State, as well as some tantalizing takes on the Penn State Nittany Lions. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thursday edition of the show already roaring through week two. Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast joining us for today's show. Zach, how you doing today, my man? Noah, it's Christmas. It feels like Christmas. The NFL is back. I don't know if anybody else heard sleigh bells ringing last night, but I think I did. I think I heard them outside my window as Christmas is here and the NFL season is upon us. I'm hype. And like you said, week two, it's already flying by. We already uh, get another weekend of college football soon. It's a good time. Good time of year. Thursday night football tonight. I think they're going by the Sunday night moniker on NBC tonight. But if you listened to yesterday's show, which I know you did, you saw how enraged I was by the decision <laughs> to not have the Cleveland Browns here locally, but the one state in the Southeast that is carrying the New England Patriots-Miami Dolphins game that is not Florida is the state of Alabama, and it is solely alone for Mac Jones. I do want your thoughts on this. It seems like Bama bias has trickled into the NFL for that and that alone. I, I think it would have happened if Cam was still the starter as well. Tua versus Cam, Auburn versus Alabama. I, I think that would have been the case. And for what it's worth, you know, I've got an NFL Sunday ticket, but to watch the Patriots last year did not have to use it a whole lot. And I think Cam had a big reason to do with that. So we'll see. But yeah, it is hilarious. Uh, sorry, uh, you won't be able to watch your brownies at, at home, but uh, I will be watching my Patriots at home. So there you go. Well, I was having to record it. I can't record it from a restaurant, you know? Oh, I see. That's right. <laughs> I had something going on at 325 that I have to oh, do. I lead no. a youth group on Sundays. Very happy to do this. Gladly will sacrifice my Cleveland Browns, but I'm bummed that I can't record it <laughs> now. You can't even record it. That exactly. does stink. I'm yep. sorry, brother. All right, moving on. Week two, college football, Alabama State Hornets. What do you know about this other team? Is there anything that they can do to possibly put something on film for Auburn that maybe they can look at and say, oh, we need to improve there before we play Penn State? I think so. I think there's a few different matchups that are um, that are kind of enticing and attractive. Wrote about this at Auburn Wire. Talked about it on Locked on Auburn podcast as well, but They've got another mobile quarterback, much like they saw last week with uh, Cato Nelson and with Akron. Uh, Ryan Nettles, a young guy. He's now a redshirt freshman. But remember, Alabama State played their season in the spring last year. And so they played five or six games. They uh, they were a game away from making it to the SWAC championship game. Lost to Alabama A&M. But uh, Ryan Nettles, he won... 
um, the SWAC newcomer of the year last year. And so that's uh, that's a guy to keep an eye on. They really, really like this guy. Um, so that's going to be kind of fun to see. How do they choose to contain a mobile quarterback? Because I think he's a little bit better than what they saw last year at the quarterback position. Another guy, cornerback Jaquez Payton. Um, he is uh, a pretty athletic guy. He's a transfer from Jacksonville State. And he had a really impressive game against Miles College last week based on the people that I talked to. And actually had a pick six that was returned for a touchdown, but it was called back because one of his guys was offsides. I think it's going to be fun to see Peyton go up against Shedrick Jackson um, just because he's a better corner than what Jackson went up against um, when uh, when they played Akron. So I think there's something. Uh, their best guy on defense last year, his name was Urshad Davis. He is their safety. He is an all-swack safety. He led the team in tackles last year. In the five games that he played, he had like 42 tackles, I believe. So he's um, he's a big part of what they do defensively. And so Bo Nix did a really good job looking off safeties last week. Can they do it against a little bit better safety when you talk about Urshad Davis? There's something. The best player on their team, Noah, is their running back, Ezra Gray. He was on their team when they came to Auburn in 2018. And so he's, uh, he's a lot older, a lot more experienced. One of the better runners in all of college football as far as through contact. He averages like, I think, three yards after contact. So a little something to look at there. Can Zacoby McLean and the linebackers wrap him up, kind of limit yards after contact? That'll be a good exercise to see what they're able to do. Their guy that uh, that they throw to early and often, his name is Jeremiah Hickson. He wears number one. And uh, it's going to be fun to see Roger McCreary. I I wouldn't be shocked if they followed him around a little bit just to see, you know, okay, let's put our best guy on their best guy and see what happens. They love to throw short stuff to him and then let him run after the catch. So a lot of his catches were slants, and still he averaged 18 yards per catch last season. So there's something there. And then uh, I think the last interesting kind of got to look at, they really, really like their tight end. His name is Terrence Ellis. Um, Pretty lean guys, like 6'3", 240-ish or so, but they really like the way that he moves, and he was overthrowing a bunch last week, so we got to look at there. Talking about the Auburn secondary a little bit, let's move back to this previous game against Akron. First team does well, second team steps out, and the backup quarterback for Akron goes 13 for 13, throws a touchdown pass. Any cause for concern with that backup group from what you watched on Saturday? None, none, because that's not even really the backup group. With Jalen Simpson out, Ladarius Tennyson didn't uh, dress out. So those guys will both be back, according to Harson's reports earlier in the week. So uh, I'm not worried about it. anything that happened after five minutes into the third quarter last uh, last week doesn't matter, in my opinion. And obviously, you know, you want bragging rights. You want the defense to be able to say that they held, a, you know, forced a shutout and all that. But the starting defense did. And I think we all can agree if the starters stayed in the whole time, Akron would not have scored. They would have not gotten anywhere close to the goal line. So I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters on either side of the football because, I mean, even when Bo Nix was taken out and Finley was put in with the starters, he went down and scored. So I don't think there's really cause for concern there. But um, I guess if you had to look at something uh, to take away, yeah, I, I guess defensive back depth to some extent was there. But also, like, the pass rush slowed down as well. I don't think it was just the defensive backs, you know. Moving back to much earlier than five minutes left in the third quarter, much, much earlier in the day, actually. I've seen you talking a lot about Penn State after seeing them take on Wisconsin. I am of the same opinion as you are. This team's a little overrated inside the top 12 where they've jumped all the way up to 11 this week. Wasn't too impressed with their performance against Wisconsin. Takeaways that we can bring with us next week 
to Happy Valley. Well, a lot of people saying, like, well, their defense was really good. They did a good job shutting Wisconsin down. And I heavily disagree. You're shaking your head no as well. I mean, they moved the ball in between the 20s. It's just both teams really did weird stuff in the red zone, whether it was turnovers, missed kicks. Play calling. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like... The big thing to me was this their reliance on arm tackling over and over and over again. And it's like you're not going to be able to do that against Wisconsin running backs, and you're not going to be able to do that against Tank Bigsby. So I think that's I don't think that's something you can fix in two weeks. I think that's something that you fix when you install your culture and your mindset as a defense over spring, summer, and fall. So can they fix that in two weeks? I don't think so. I, I genuinely don't. I was not impressed with Penn State at all, and especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we were told all offseason that Penn State's got a new offense. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of excitement there. And it looked vanilla as can be. And not only was you know it not creative, but it wasn't executed well either. So I think, uh, I think Auburn is in a much better spot. I mean, all summer, Noah, I was saying that Auburn would lose to Penn State. And during that game, I changed my pick. Before I saw how crisp Auburn looked against Akron, I'm like, no, Penn State's not beating Auburn in two weeks. And I'm, I'm standing by that. So I think Auburn's going to go up there and get a win. Penn State did not grade out very well on pro football focus on hardly any of their graves. Even Jahan Dotson, their leading receiver in that ball game, somehow found a way to finish third on their PFF receiver grades amongst Penn State receivers in that ball wow. game. But he helped stretch the field out a lot. If it's not for Jahan Dotson... They don't win that ball game. So I want your thoughts on him, the receiver, one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. Is this Auburn secondary ready to handle somebody like Jahan Dodson? I think so. And I think with your when you play a team like Penn State where one receiver is significantly better than all the other guys, I think that's Roger McCreary's job. Um, and that'll be fun to see how they prepare for different offenses like that. But Roger McCreary is such a special player. Like He is so good. I think you can make the argument he's maybe the most underrated player in the SEC. I just think he's a really, really special corner. And even stuff that he did against Akron, it's just like you don't nobody talks about him because he becomes like not a story in the flow of the game. And that's exactly what you want with your starting corners. That's the way that's what you want with really good offensive linemen. You don't really want to hear their name that much. And you didn't with Akron unless, you know, somebody got free on the flat and then he stepped up from his zone and made a you know a very pure tackle. That's who Roger McCreary is. So I think with a guy like Dotson, it's gonna be fun to see those guys really beat each other up a little bit because McCreary's a very physical corner. I don't know enough about Dotson to know how physical he is as a receiver yet. Um, based on uh, his PFF numbers, like you said, and the style of play of Wisconsin. Uh, I don't really remember him, other than that deep pass where he caught the touchdown to kind of get some of the offense going, I don't really remember a whole lot else of what he brought to the table in that game. It was pretty much a lot of shot plays is what okay. it seemed like. Yeah, I think he had two shot plays that he brought in, and it was blown coverage on Wisconsin's defense. Just a lot of miscues from both of those teams in that first ball game and I'm certainly looking forward to next week's matchup because there will be some challenges there for Auburn of course because you're going to you're going to Pennsylvania you're going to the whiteout game what potential challenges do you think Penn State could bring to Auburn uh I mean I think the defense is going to be better and you know what does Auburn's offense do I, I feel good about I feel good about both defenses in these matchups I think it's going to be a lower scoring game I think the first team to get to about 24 may win this thing um, but who has the better offensive mind to break through when it's over? And I think 
the combination of the ability for Tank Bixby to wear down Penn State's defense over the course of four quarters is attractive, especially the one-two punch. Wisconsin it, did it. Exactly. Yeah, and that, that one-two-three punch, if you want to put Shivers and, and Jarquez Hunter in there as well, I think that's uh I think that favors um I think that favors Auburn when it's all said and done. As far as, you know, uh when Penn State has the football, it's like how can they beat you? And they could not run the football. They were really, really bad at running the football. And it's like if if Auburn can make Sean Clifford beat them with his arm, I don't think they're gonna be able to get a you know consistent passing game going. So I really like Auburn from a matchup perspective based on what we saw week one. And they weren't really that good in pass protection either. Mm-hmm. Clifford was pressured on over a third or around a third of his dropbacks in that ball game. I was really underwhelmed with the offensive line. Uh I was too. I was too. I mean, I, Penn State did not do hardly anything that I was impressed with. Um and I, I'm right there with you. It's like preseason rankings matter a ton and I'm fine with that just because I don't know of another way to do it but the whole um the whole them being ranked 12th you said they're 12th right now I think they're at 11 okay there you go and it's like that's regardless either of them is, is too high um but yeah that's um I think it's good for Auburn and you know especially if somebody ahead of them can lose and maybe they're in the top 10 when Auburn goes on the road up to Happy Valley, if they can get a beat a top ten team on the road, it just makes the win look better. Yeah, Penn State ranked at eleven in this week's AP top twenty five poll. Okay. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. In the coaches and, poll, they're ranked at thirteen. Gotcha. And so and then Auburn's ranked in the AP and not in the coaches. So yeah, that's um, that's going to be good for Auburn, I think, if they're able to do it. We mentioned the AP top twenty five poll. Are you of the mind that this Auburn team, after a sixty to ten dominant victory over Akron, did enough? to warrant being ranked sure I, I think so I think uh, what they did was fine but at this point it just doesn't matter um I, I would be totally fine with there being no polls until like week five or six but there's no money in or that. the college football playoff yeah yeah I, I think that would be fine but of course the AP is going to put out a poll and USA Today is going to put out a poll because and people they're both sponsored yeah, they are, and I'm sure they're making a lot of money for it. You know, I I work for uh, Gannett, which is part of USA Today, AuburnWire.com is part of that. So uh, we cover that poll very closely, and it's a very, very important thing. But, yeah, I, I would be fine if there were no polls until, uh, you know, several weeks into the season. But I get it. All right, Zach, before we let you get out of here, tonight, the start of the NFL football season, Tampa Bay, Auburn yes. South. So many great players on this Tampa Bay defense that have ties to Auburn. K.J. Britt right. making waves in Tampa Bay as well as the Auburn defensive backs that are there and Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis playing the Dallas Cowboys, looking to bounce back from a tough year last right. year as well as Dak Prescott. Give us a preview of tonight's ball game for the Auburn fans that should be tuning in. Yeah, I mean, a big part of Tampa's run to a championship, and sure, Tom Brady got a lot of it and he deserves it, but uh, the cornerback play and just the whole defense uh, really came together when it mattered most. But these corners, I mean, you look at Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, of course, two former Auburn Tigers. They uh, they went on a tremendous run in the playoffs last year. They they got to shut down Drew Brees, then they shut down Aaron Rodgers, and then they shut down Patrick Mahomes. They were big parts of that. And, and um, so that's something to watch for tonight. And then, of course, yeah, you mentioned K.J. Britt making his NFL debut for nothing but good things coming out of Buccaneers camp about him, you know, I think it was a fourth or a fifth round pick, and it sounds like they've re- they're really happy with the, the return on investment already that they've gotten with KJ Britt, and obviously we all know 
Um, sure, he's a good football player on the field, but he's just a guy that you want in your team, want in your locker room, and it seems like um, the Bucks are already big fans of K.J. Britt. So, yeah, a little Auburn twist this morning on the start of the uh, the NFL season. I think it's awesome. I can't wait. You got a pick? Uh, Tampa, yeah. I don't think I'll pick against Tampa any game except for one this year. Is it fairly easy? Does Dallas look a lot better here in week one? I don't know, man. Uh, you know, watching hard knocks, I'm not super sold that Dak is 100%. I mean. Oh, they were on hard knocks. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, they were on hard knocks. It's over. Yeah, and it's just like, I mean. McCarthy's uh, looking for a job at the end of the year. Unless uh, unless Zeke gets going, I just I just don't see it. But they've got a lot of they've they've got a talented roster. I mean, Amari Cooper and you know C.D. Lamb. You know he's supposed to have a big breakout season. It's just can Dak get it to him? And he just he looked rough at Hard Knocks. But that could have just been HBO trying to make it dramatic. I don't know. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all of your content. Sure. Locked on Auburn is available wherever you get your podcast, And also a new show drops every weekday morning on YouTube if that is your thing. And then uh, if you are in the Auburn, Opelika, Lee County area, uh, tune in to News Talk WANI 98.7 FM for Auburn, Opelika this morning. And I write stuff at AuburnWire.com. Appreciate it, Noah. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast joining us for the Thursday edition of the show. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Wrapping up hour number one of the Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast for joining us Back in that last segment, if you want to check out our podcast, find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. That's how, if you ever miss any content during our show, go and find it on demand at those locations, as well as also on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Find us there at Radio AL Sports and on your web browser at RadioAlabamaSports.net. Wrapping up hour number one here with some NFL picks. We've got NFL football tonight. The Dallas Cowboys take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it's time for our Sunday showdown. We've got Saturday selections and Sunday showdown. Doesn't get more cliche than that, but let's rock, Lance. we got three games to pick here. Let's try and get three games done in three minutes before we get out of here for hour number one. Dallas Cowboys at Tampa Bay Buccaneers tonight. Bucks favored by nine, 720 NBC, Thursday night football. Yeah, I feel comfortable taking the Bucks to win this game, and I think they're going to cover as well. We've been hearing reports out of Dallas that, that – while Prescott is healthy, he is potentially dealing with something with some uh, something to do with his shoulder. I don't think that's necessarily going to be a huge problem. I think long term, it is a good question to ask: Will he be able to sustain an 18-week season? But yeah, I think I think Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, I think they're just going to be able to go out there and get it done. Dallas's defense gave up over 29 points a game last season. Now, how much they improve on that, I don't know. But based on what we saw last year, they have a bad defense going going up against the former. Or the current Super Bowl champions, or they were last year. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay to win this game, and I think I feel comfortable taking them to cover a nine-point spread. Do you remember last year's season opener when the Texans played? Did they play the Chiefs? That was what it was. I think it was Chiefs-Texans, and they just got absolutely erased. <laughs> it was a good time. It was like Doodle Bob, SpongeBob running around <laughs> with a pencil erasing Texans players. Yeah, I'm going to take that tonight. 
Bucks over Cowboys, Doodle Bob, SpongeBob, Racing Cowboys players all over the place. I think it's going to be a slaughtering. Philadelphia Eagles at Atlanta Falcons. Falcons favored by three on Sunday at noon. And this one's a tough game because you would think at home that the Falcons would be able to pull out this win with all the offensive talent that they have. And now that they've got Kyle Pitts on the roster, it's going to be exciting to see how he gets involved. But, you know, after we saw Atlanta last year, they, they did like to throw away a lot of games. I'm going to take Philadelphia to win this one, but I don't feel comfortable about it. I think Jalen Hurts is going to find a way to get it done on the road simply because of what I've seen out of the Falcons over the past two seasons. I'm taking the Falcons, and neither of these teams, I don't like their rosters. It really came down to purely quarterback play here, and I distrust, is that even a word? I have distrust in Jalen Hurts a lot more than I have in Matt Ryan. It's a word. You're good. There we go. It didn't sound right coming out of my mouth, but I have less trust. That that's probably a better way for me to phrase this. I have less trust in Jalen Hurts than I have in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's experienced. We know he's a better passer. Of course, he doesn't have a lot around him. This is going to be a nasty, no good football game. But at the end of the day, if I'm ha- when it's coming down to who can throw the football better and, and there's pretty much similarities all across the field between these two teams, there's just lack of talent around both of these two quarterbacks. Which quarterback do I think can do more with less? I think it's Matt Ryan because time and time again, he's shown the ability to do more with less. So I'm going to take the Falcons at a nasty, no-good football game win probably by three that's a hard line to look at between the falcons and the eagles but i don't, I don't like the pick but i'm, I'm gonna stick with the eagles just because the falcons have just choked so much recently <laughs> that's fair that's very fair that's it for hour number one of on the line when we come back hour number two jt daniels at georgia reports out there suggesting that he is day-to-day questionable for the uab game on saturday more of on the line coming up at 3 p.m on the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm in birmingham and silicaga and in auburn on espn 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and espnau.com you are on the line with noah gardner and lance daw join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Intern Belichick behind the controls. Intern Sting in the house as well. Fun hour number two playing for you. We got making headlines to start off hour number two, and there are some headlines making the rounds across the sec at this point as well as we've got some nfl games to pick throughout our number two and also taking a look at some tantalizing college football matchups for this upcoming weekend we won't make our picks that'll be saved for tomorrow on the college football games but we'll make our nfl picks today throughout our number two as well if you want to call in number to call 334-321-1390 our text line at 334-564-1840 we want to hear from you. Anything that's on your mind, phone lines are open all hour number two, so be sure to call in, 334-321-1390. Starting off, hour number two here with our Making Headlines segment. First headline of the day, Dogs 24-7 reports that Georgia quarterback JT Daniels is dealing with an injury to his core, possibly ribs or oblique. 
you know, if you were on Twitter yesterday, if you were on social media at all yesterday, you were probably hearing rumors of a tear in there. But Dogs 24-7 reporting that this isn't something that's going to be long-term, but it's got them day-to-day and questionable for the UAB game. That's what Dogs 24-7 reported about 18, 20 hours ago. And remember how I was kind of speculating off-air, I, I believe it was, during yesterday's show. I was like, man, I wonder how a Georgia team with Stetson Bennett back at quarterback, this team, would fare against maybe like a team like Notre Dame or just like how they would fare throughout the season. Well, now, it, potentially for the UAB game, that's become reality. And I, I don't say that as like a, I'm excited about it because obviously you don't ever want to see a player get hurt or, or or have a nagging injury that they're dealing with. But this is something that as a Georgia fan, I would be concerned based on what I saw last season. Now, will they go to Carson Beck potentially instead? I'm not sure. But being day to day before the UAB game, it's it's again, like I said on yesterday's show, talking about Georgia's COVID issues. If you're going to have issues and you're going to work out some kinks and you're going to have guys get injured do it now because your next three or four games are going to be cakewalks even if you don't have the quarterback position figured out or at least they they would appear to be cakewalks dogs 24 7 also saying that Carson Beck throughout this week since JT Daniels has been limited Carson Beck's been getting a large portion of first team reps there you go maybe that they're getting him ready for the game against UAB I don't know anything about Carson Beck. Do you know anything about Carson Beck? I knew that he was a good recruit coming out of co- uh, high school, rather. But the fact that they picked Bennett over him last season gave, gives me some concerns. But maybe George is looking at the situation now. It's like, okay, so now that we've seen Bennett, maybe we need to go with a guy like Carson Beck because long-term he may prove to be a better quarterback. So let's get him some reps instead, considering Bennett's last year is, is this season. Yeah, Carson Beck, class of 2020, four-star recruit, number nine pro-style quarterback in that class, six foot four and a half, 226 pounds out of Jacksonville, Florida. Of course, redshirt freshman this year, and you do mention last year they went with Stetson Bennett. That was okay for a little bit. It was okay against Auburn, got real bad real fast, and then JT Daniels at the end took over. I don't think this quarterback room is very deep based off what we saw with Stetson Bennett last year. Now, maybe Carson Beck just wasn't ready last year. Dewan Mathis certainly wasn't ready last year. Of course, he's not inside the program anymore. I still don't think this quarterback room is extremely deep. So if you're a Georgia fan, you really don't want to see this linger for a long time, especially as Georgia gets ready to go into SEC play. I want to talk about this Georgia UAB game for a moment. I was very impressed with the second half with UAB, namely with Tyler Johnston, the third at quarterback. Thought he was super accurate, was delivering on the long ball downfield, didn't have any turnover-worthy plays. He looked really good. And that was, my main, that was my main question about this UAB team going into this year, about whether or not they could repeat as Conference USA champions. Said it falls on the arm of their quarterback, Tyler Johnston, and he played great in game one. Now, granted, it was against Jacksonville State, we honestly can't believe that UAB is going to score that much more, if not more, than what Clemson did in Game 1, right? I was going, That's that was going to be my question, is do you think UAB scores more points than Clemson did? Yes, but maybe only six points, that's right? What, that's like, what I was thinking, Maybe yeah. they got two field goals. Yeah. It's just so hard to replicate that type of performance. That's not me saying that Georgia will perform worse against the UAB offense and that's also not me saying that UAB's offense is better than Clemson's offense. It's just the game of football. If you play that game between Georgia and Clemson 10 times, it's probably not going to be a 10-3 to game every single time, right? Those two offenses did not play well on Saturday, 
But clearly, Clemson's offense better than UAB's. Georgia's defense will not be able to throw up three points. Not not that they won't be able to. It, it could happen, but I'm just having a hard time believing that they hold their first two opponents to just three points. Well, think about the way that the UAB offense operated against Jacksonville State. And again, Jacksonville State's not a bad FCS program. They're just not they 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 got shut out by UAB. But early on in that game, what was UAB struggling with? Running the ball inside the tackles. And I think you're going to be able to run the ball outside the tackles and get to the edge against a team like Jacksonville State, but you play that Georgia team I think that UAB is going to have a really hard time establishing the run. And I think the run opened up the passing game early in that game for Tyler Johnston, where he was completing pass after pass after after pass, and it was chunk plays to get into the red zone. And then they started running the ball again. I don't think they're going to be able to do that against Georgia. Now, I agree with you. I think they either find six points or they, they get a lone touchdown on the board somehow late in the game. UAB does. But uh, yeah, I, it's it's not a good situation for Georgia because if you head into this game slow, if you start this game out slow with Carson Beck potentially at quarterback, I would not I would not think I would not go into the second quarter maybe if it's either tied or Georgia only has like a three point lead. I would not feel very comfortable because this UAB squad is talented. I don't think UAB is going to be able to do a whole lot on the scoreboard. Georgia's defense is talented enough. I don't think UAB scores more than ten points. They probably don't score more than six or seven, right? I, I do think that George is able to replicate something like that. It's just when I was making my comments earlier about this game, it's just based on odds, right? It's just the likelihood of, of you know, game to game, how variations occur in football games, the likelihood of someone holding each opponent that they're better than them to the exact same amount. Like, it's not linear. Just because UAB is worse than Clemson does not necessarily mean that Georgia is going to hold them to three points or less mm-hmm. in this football game. That That is not something that you can compare. Those are apples and oranges, and every football game is different. My question to you is now, flipping this more onto the offensive side of the ball, once again, I don't think that UAB is going to be able to score my question now is, if JT Daniels doesn't play, what does Georgia's offense look like against a UAB defense that I also think you can say, after blanking Jacksonville State, putting up a goose egg on the scoreboard, they looked impressive. And I do think, when you look at UAB over the last three years, they are a team of quality on that side of the ball, regardless of whether it was an FCS opponent or an FBS opponent. They're pretty good at run stopping. And what did Georgia struggle at this weekend against Clemson? Running the football. And that's what I was going to say. It was like, well, if you're going to be successful – Uh, against a group of five school without your starting quarterback you're going to have to be able to run the ball a little bit but UAB is pretty good at run stopping so I I I think Georgia's going to win this game I think they're going to win it handily but that's it's it doesn't match up well at least I don't feel like might be a little bit of a slower start for Georgia you know And, and don't put that out of the realm of possibility because we saw slow starts in the SEC this past weekend against clearly inferior competition I don't think it says a whole lot about these programs after one week, but it will if they continue to struggle moving forward. The thing about the game plan for Georgia is that if JT Daniels doesn't go, how much confidence do you have in Carson Beck if he ends up being the starter to air it out with him and truly have a balanced attack? Or are you going to place a heavy focus on running the football? They're also dealing with injuries to some of their top pass catchers. They were missing some guys in week one against Clemson so for UAB the game plan on defense or guessing what Georgia is going to do on offense it gets a little bit easier to get those guesses right if they're starting a backup quarterback and the emphasis is going to be on running the football right and I'll I'll, I'll say this 
maybe take UAB to cover a first quarter or first half spread, but I think that Georgia at the end of the day will win this game because talent wins out. Not to say that UAB is a terrible team, but at home against a group of five school, I think they'll find a way to get it done, even if injuries do do end up being an issue. Do we know what the line is on this game right now? I don't. I can look it up for you real quick. Georgia by 24. Do we take Georgia to cover that? I'm staying away from that game like it's the plague. I would not. If JT Daniels is not the starting quarterback, I am staying away from that. That is a lot to cover with a backup in. And I think UAB is a team of quality. It opened at 27.5, according to CBS Sports. Okay, so it's dropped a little bit. It's dropped a little bit, yeah. Moving to our second headline here in Making Headlines the term rat poison made an appearance yet again at a Nick Saban press conference. He was a little irked yesterday with the way that the Crimson Tide have come out to practice this week for the Mercer Bears. Can you please explain to me what what that means? You're not familiar with the term rat poison? I see Lane Kiffick tweet it out all the time. I just I, I just have never decided to go like, hey, what does rat poison mean? You're dating yourself a little bit. It was several years ago. Nick Saban had a major rant in a press conference, and he actually referenced that rant in his press conference yesterday. And rat poison is basically like, Anybody talking good about an Alabama football team when Nick Saban feels like they don't deserve to be talked about that way. And honestly, this is just a mental tactic with his football team. It's not that Nick Saban thinks that his team isn't good. Nick Saban's over here like, we won 27 to 0 in the first half, but in the second half it was like 17 to 16. So it means against like down, Miami. downplaying like how how it's downplaying whenever people are are hyping you up. Yeah, don't let that rat okay. poison into my program. That's kind of what I thought it meant. I just never really went and and looked deep into it. Saban is trying to avoid his program having a feeling of complacency. He's trying to avoid the complacency from settling in in his program and That's easy to do in these weeks against Mercer. Not saying that Alabama having a sense of complacency going into the Mercer game that they wouldn't still destroy them and rip them apart limb from limb. Of course they will, but my philosophy on it is if you're a coach, you don't want your guys to ever feel like that they've done something and that you're satisfied until you've lifted a championship trophy. And that has totally been Nick Saban's attitude. So just kind of brush this off. Of course, he's going to say it's rat poison when folks are talking so highly of his team after how they performed week one against Miami. You and I have talked about that this week, about how good they looked in week one compared to the rest of college football. First half, they looked like they were in midseason form. Didn't quite come out in the second half with the same intensity. I totally understand what Nick Saban's talking about there and then even into this week in practice. If Saban's saying that he's that they're not meeting the intensity that he wants them to I would imagine that they're probably not and this is all just a mental tactic to get these guys mad to get these guys continuing to work hard and to not slouch because if they slack off at any point Nick Saban teams have only gone undefeated twice it's very hard to do this Nick Saban's been there for 15 years so you very well could see this Alabama team slip up to someone that you wouldn't expect them to yeah for sure and you know I I think with with the way Alabama's playing right now, I mean, you, you got to have that mentality, right? Like they're obviously far and above almost every single team in the SEC after what we saw in Week One in terms of preparation and coaching. You don't want to lull your players to sleep thinking that they're the best in the entire world, or you're going to be tied at halftime with the Citadel. So, so yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not mad at that. I think that's definitely a good mindset to have. 
I don't know how we missed this on yesterday's show when we were talking about Cincinnati, but UCFSports.com, that's the UCF Rivals affiliate, they reported yesterday that the university officially submitted its application to join the Big 12. And it's happening. Do you think, do you think they accept it? Do you think that this is actually happening in two years? I saw another headline earlier today that BYU was going to be invited to join the league. I think this is happening. I think very much so. Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and... Who am I leaving off? UCF, the one that we're talking about right now. Those four teams, I think all of them are going to be invited. I think all of them are going to be accepted. And the Big 12 is trying to piecemeal this thing together. The grand question that I keep going back to is, does West Virginia stay in the league or not? And if West Virginia bails, does the Big 10 pick off Iowa State and Kansas for football purposes for Iowa State? And then basketball purposes for Kansas, they fit in the footprint. You get that rivalry with Iowa State-Iowa that we're getting to see this weekend. Is this just the prelude to those two teams entering it? If West Virginia leaves, is that the next domino in the Big 12 losing teams and getting picked off? I don't think Oklahoma State fits anywhere else. I don't think TCU fits anywhere else. I don't think Texas Tech or Baylor, those core members of the Big 12 that aren't on the fringe of the geographical footprint like Iowa State, Kansas, and West Virginia, I don't think they belong anywhere else. I think you could maybe squeeze them into the SEC if the SEC wanted to go to like 18 and you wanted to bring Oklahoma State in and regenerate Bedlam and whatnot, and maybe you wanted to bring Baylor or whatever. I, 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 don't, I don't care, but for me, most of the Big 12, I think – this is a unified response and they're going to be able to keep it together yeah i think so but it's just going to be a better version of the american athletic conference yes that's a that's a good way to put it and at the end of the day you know i think it's going to be fun now another question that we've talked about before on the show is you know is texas and oklahoma are they still going to be in the big 12 for those two years before they move to the sec in 2025 i think there's a chance that they definitely make the move in 2023 and everybody just kind of shifts at the same time that would be an easy way to do it in terms of like working out scheduling and stuff like that but I would like to see, now that you brought it up, I would like to see a world where Iowa State and Kansas are in the Big Ten because, like you mentioned, having the Cyhawk as, a, as an in-conference rivalry, that would be fun. I don't want to see it. I, I want fun. college football. I think the Big 12 is a real – it would be fun. I'm not disagreeing that it would be fun to see those two teams play on a regular basis that has conference implications. Of course, they play every year already, which is a regular basis, but with conference implications. But – the reason why I want the Big 12 to stay intact is I think they are the key right now to college football not falling apart, falling completely apart, and we losing the role that the group of five plays right mm -hmm. now in college football and losing Tuesday night action and all those things that we've talked about so often when we've talked about conference realignment. I think the Big 12 finding a way to bring teams in like Boise State, UCF, Cincinnati, good group of five programs, great group of five programs. If you can bring them in, piece them all together, at least show that you are a respectable conference. Because I think the American Athletic Conference gets some respect at the end of the day when you see a UCF get deep into the top 25. People respect Cincinnati right now. Group of five teams gain more respect now than they did five, ten years ago because of the pioneers that paved the way like UCF. Cincinnati has done it many a time. Boise State. There's been enough times where we have seen these schools compete on a large scale and beat and shock teams that are in the power five. You may say that these bowl games don't matter, but it means to those it means something to those group of five schools that step out on the field. And I think you can see evidence of respect for these leagues in terms of how they're voted upon in the AP Top 25 poll, Coastal Carolina is a top 17 team in the country, and it's week two. 
UCF is three spots out of the top 25. Louisiana Lafayette started the year ranked at 23. There are more group of five teams getting ranked, I feel like, earlier in the season than ever. So if, if the Big 12 can maybe put together a unified and, and a respectable-looking conference, get some TV deals in, maybe you don't see the second NFL like you and I talked about at times where the SEC, Pac-12, Big 10, and ACC all break away, create their own super version of college football. Maybe that's inevitable, maybe not, but you at least need to see leagues like the Big 12 fight back against it. Do you think it was wise for the Big 12 to choose BYU over Boise State, or do you think that that was not the move? I don't think that they have to choose one over the other. Why not go in and add Boise State down the line? Sure. Okay, sure. So I don't think that that's necessarily a sign that they chose them over them. I don't think expansion is necessarily done if you're the Big 12. Why would you stop at 12 if you're the Big 12? Uh, of course, your name is 12, but you haven't been at 12 in forever, right? It's been like 10 years since you've been at 12. So why would you stop there if you really want to keep up with these other teams and try and get back into the Power 5 picture? Well, go and pick up Boise State. Go and pick up them. Maybe you want to go and pick up San Diego State. Now you're talking about a footprint that stretches coast to coast from San Diego all the way to West Virginia. Now that doesn't that sound like the American Athletic Conference, you, you know? Yeah. So my thing is, don't worry about the name. Don't worry about the footprint. Go and bring in the best group of five schools that you can find and create this, you know, this piecemeal thing together of your big 12 core that you got left after oklahoma and texas leave which still have some good football programs there that are going to bring some eyeballs that have some good fan bases and then also bring in some of these group of five schools that also have large fan bases such as a ucf that is a massive student population and a massive following you can put together a decent league there that will be ranked fifth amongst conferences but they at least should have a seat at the table if someone were to go undefeated and put together a really good year because you're going to get some quality wins on it. I don't know. I feel like they kind of be ranked fourth just based on what we're seeing the Pac-12 doing right now. <laughs> I like some of these Pac-12 teams this year. I'm not writing them off yet. Bottom half of the league, horrible. Bottom half of the league, horrible, right? Like, they should pick up some of these Mountain West schools, you know? But top half of the league, I, I like some of these teams. And we'll talk about that more here on the other side of this break. When we come back, we pick some more NFL games Sunday showdown here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about in the sports world. Whatever is on your mind, hit us up. Just finished up our Making Headlines segment, talking a little bit about Dogs 24-7, reporting that Georgia quarterback JT Daniels is dealing with an injury to his core. Listed as day-to-day right now, possibly questionable for the UAB football game. Rat Poison making an appearance in an Alabama press conference yet again. And then UCF officially submitting their application to join the Big 12. Something else that I want to add to that before we move on and get back to Sunday showdown and making some NFL picks. Just a note here, we talked a little bit about soccer, United States men's national team. I'll tell you that it looked good yesterday. The score is deceiving. I'm still incredibly disappointed in this in this program in the United States men's national team at this point but they did fire back four goals in the second half and took down Honduras four to one to climb into third place in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying I think there's a three or a four-way tie right there in the table and those standings for second place I think there's yes there's three or four teams with five points in those in those standings and I think are your next set of games come in October 
for World Cup qualifying. So a little bit of a break right here as players go back to their clubs and club play gets back started again. And hopefully the United States can turn some things around because these first three games, I hope they were eye-opening for the guys because if folks don't remember, the United States missed the World Cup last go-round and it's definitely not a great start right now. But one win, two draws through the first three. They got 13 more games to go in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Now back to Sunday's showdown, picking some NFL games tonight. We ran out of time back in hour number one for this pit. Pittsburgh Steelers at Buffalo Bills. Noon kickoff. Six and a half point favorites are Buffalo up in New York. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I, w- I was on the show during NFL playoffs, uh, but I was incredibly high on the Buffalo Bills throughout their playoff run. Anybody that listens to the Locked on Auburn podcast will, will know that. I'm picking Buffalo to win this game. Uh, the Steelers, you know, with Big Ben, they just continue to regress on offense. I'm excited to see what Najee Harris does and if he's able to get anything going, but I'm going to take Buffalo and Josh Allen, future MVP, to win this one. Bills had a pretty good defense last year. Steelers, that was all they could do was play defense. Steelers' offense was rather underwhelming all season long, of course, after they got rid of their extremely easy schedule through the first 12 games. What happened down the last four? They started losing and the Steelers had a very bad end to last season kind of was foreshadowing for what I think will be a tough year for them this year and a sour end to the career of Big Ben it starts in week one I'm going to take the Bills as well just the vivacity at the quarterback position there's a major difference between these two teams you got the youth of one a guy that could be an MVP candidate this year and Josh Allen versus Big Ben who's on the way out and the Steelers have no plan after him so I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills in this ball game right here moving on to some other noon kickoff games arizona cardinals at the tennessee titans who now have julio jones three-point favorites are the titans in nissan stadium yeah and this should be a fun game because i really like what kyler murray and that offense in arizona is doing and i believe uh arizona now has jj watt and they've got a pretty good defense they've got some good pieces in arizona but i'm going to take the titans to win at home because i think ryan Tannehill, julio jones and derrick henry that's a pretty good combination of guys there i'm going to take that offense to get it done I'm taking Tennessee as well. Ryan Tannehill, Julio Jones. Hopefully that is going to be a match made in heaven. Something about the Arizona Cardinals, and I know they've brought in a lot of talent, namely all the talent that was left on the Houston Texans roster. They imported over. You have DeAndre Hopkins. You have J.J. Watt. Kyler Murray's good, but I still just don't know if his style of play, and I'm still not sold if Lamar Jackson's style of play is enough to make you a regular winner in the NFL you're going on the road Titans have a good team let's see if that defense is better it wasn't very good last year I think some points are going to be scored in this ball game but Julio Jones I think this is going to be a fun debut for him now with an offense that's going to be able to regularly get him the football but where it's not all Julio anymore there's a running game there's an offensive line there's a quarterback there's a lot of good things going on on that side of the football for the Titans so I will take Tennessee to open up 1-0 Seattle Seahawks at Indianapolis Colts noon kickoff Colts are three-point dogs at Lucas Oil Stadium I'm going to take the uh, Seattle Seahawks to win this one I don't trust Seattle's defense about as far as I could throw it Uh, I I really like Russell Wilson I really like the talent that he has around him Um, and and when you look at a team like the Colts with Carson Wentz I believe he still uh, he still has some injuries that he's going through although he should potentially be ready in time for this game I just don't trust the Colts to get it done, and I like the Seahawks, and I like what Russell Wilson brings to the table. I'm going to pick the Seattle Seahawks, this offense, to get them over the hump in this game. I'm going to take the Seahawks as well. I think the Colts have 
a good defense. They were one of the better defenses last year. Seahawks defense, I don't trust a whole lot. I really don't trust a whole lot outside of Russell Wilson. But the thing is, Russell Wilson wins. And Russell Wilson wins despite the fact that he's got no help in Seattle. That's why there was some beef back during the the early months of this year when free agency was getting started and and you were getting into the full offseason after the Super Bowl and you started to hear Russell Wilson talking about a spat between him and the Seattle front office similar to Aaron Rodgers and what was going on in Green Bay these quarterbacks are trying to have a seat at the table when you're making roster moves and roster decisions Russell Wilson's going to play well Carson Wentz has missed a lot of time this offseason dealing with COVID-19 and injury he didn't get full like actual contact practice time for the first time until Wednesday of this week yesterday Colts aren't going to be ready week one do I think they could end up being a good football team this year yes I just don't trust that offense with a quarterback who has not had a lot of practice time up to this point let's get our last pick in here before we got to go to break this is one close to my heart my Cleveland Browns on the road at the Kansas City Chiefs rematch Chiefs five and a half point favorites let's pick it when we come back didn't think the sting was going to play that quick but there's a little tease close to my heart Cleveland Browns Kansas City Chiefs we'll pick it when we come back you're listening on the line Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPN au.com still running through some nfl picks sunday's showdown edition of the show as well as we've got some other college football topics coming up so stay tuned for that if you want to call in 334-321-1390 or text line at 334-564-1840 30 minutes left in the show until the drive with bill cameron we race along with our sunday showdown selections here nfl picks coming up right here cleveland browns at kansas city chiefs five and a half point favorites are kansas city at home that says something kansas city is one of the toughest places to play in all of the nfl considerably one of the best rosters in all of the nfl second best team in the nfl after you watch the super bowl from last year but some would say maybe this is still the best team in the nfl best team in the afc and they're only five and a half point favorites over the cleveland browns on the road 325 p.m who you got browns chiefs i don't feel good about it but i'm going to take the chiefs to win this game why don't you feel good about it because you you're a browns fan and you you're you're disappointed in me i'm I'm not disappointed i did pick the browns though internally i look at the browns roster now folks out there that don't keep up with it don't watch the afc north a whole lot like i watch these guys every single sunday this is a good football team pff has this offensive line ranked as the top offensive line in the nfl they found a way to rebuild around baker mayfield name a better receiving core in the afc than odell beckham jr jarvis landry your tight ends austin hooper david and joku your secondary receivers really that are outside of the top two that i named richard higgins donovan peoples jones these guys are all good receivers anthony schwartz is going to factor in there i think in a little bit more of a gadget role pretty much they're going to tell him to run straight that's about it they got the best running back tandem and possibly the entire nfl and nick chubb and kareem hunt now is nick chubb the best running back in the nfl 
Probably not. No. Derrick Henry probably is. But tandem. Tandem, yes. Kareem Hunt is still an excellent running back. Nick Chubb is a top three running back, top two running back in the NFL. The offense is elite. You look at the defense, had some issues last year, but you were able to draft several pieces to bring into the program. You were able to add Jadavian Clowney in free agency. You've got Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett coming off the edge. You still have pretty good linebackers. Young linebacker core between Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, among some other names. Your DBs, you've got Denzel Ward, who's constantly graded as one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL over his first couple of seasons that he's been in the league. You still got Greedy Williams out there. You bring in Greg Newsom, one of the top cornerback draft options out of the previous draft class. Your safeties are still pretty good. This is a good Browns football team. The defense is definitely where you would look for some vulnerability on the team. And the Chiefs are going to score, but I also think the Browns are going to score. This is a revamped Cleveland team. I'm going to take them to win this game. I think the Chiefs may become in asleep a little bit, and the Browns shock them. Browns have not won a season opener in like 16 tries. That changes. Chiefs, on the other hand, have won the last six openers for themselves, five or six. I think that those two streaks bound to end right here. Patty Mahomes. Yeah. That's all I yeah. got. That's all I got. Yeah. Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I understand. Travis Kelsey, yeah. They're really good on offense. I can't lie. And Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL. It's, and it's not it, it's not to discredit everything that you just said about the Browns. Like, the Browns should be a good team. This this, this is very well number, number one versus number two in the AFC. And maybe that's a little bit premature for me to say, but the Browns are a top four team in the AFC at least. And this very well could end up being number one versus number two. And you could see these teams squaring off in the playoffs again next season, but with a little bit more implications on the line and possibly uh, – AFC Championship game. Noah, is this the year? Are the Browns focused and having fun? Heck yeah, they are. Let's go. <laughs> this is going to be a good year, man. This is going to be a good year. People should definitely be high on the Browns. I like Kevin Stavansky a lot as a coach. Of course, how can you not like Reed on the other side for the Chiefs? It's going to be a great ball game. This is the best game on Sunday. This is the best game of week one. I, I don't know how this didn't end up as Sunday night football. I'm very bummed out that I won't be able to watch this game locally. And unfortunately, I have to watch this game the Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. Three-point favorites are the Pats, 325 p.m. I'm going to take the Pats to win this game. Look, Miami last season overachieved. At least it, it felt like they did, and I think they're on their, on their way to having another good season this year. Um, I'm going to take the Pats to win this game with Mac Jones at home. I just don't, I just don't like picking against New England at home, even though they've they've kind of changed the way that they play football since Tom Brady's left. Well, they've got a quarterback now that can throw the football with some consistency. I think in Mac Jones, this is the battle of the former Alabama quarterbacks. What's crazy is these guys were in the same quarterback room at one point. You got Tua Tungavaloa on the Miami side, and then you got Mac Jones on the New England side. This is going to be a good one, but I'm with you. I like the Patriots at home. I think Bill Belichick, one of the best game planners in the NFL, if not the best game planner, is going to be able to get the most out of his team, regardless of talent level. This is a game that I think Mac Jones is going to is going to shine in. I think the defenses are going to look good. This is going to be a relatively low-scoring football game, but if you're asking me to pick which quarterback I feel more comfortable in to win me an NFL football game right now. Honestly, even though I haven't seen Mac Jones in week one yet, I haven't even seen him play a regular season game in the NFL, I'd probably take Mac Jones at this point. And he's definitely not as much of an injury concern as Tua is. You don't have to be afraid of his fragility in a football game as much as Tua Tagovailoa. And I hate to say that because I like Tua too, but I think that Mac Jones is going to show out, at least lead the Patriots to win on Sunday 
Moving into our last three games that we got to pick right here, Green Bay Packers at the New Orleans Saints. This game is being played in Jacksonville, Florida due to the events of Hurricane Ida coming through New Orleans. Packers are four-point favorites on the road, 325 p.m. Yeah, I'm going to take the Packers to win in this game. Look, with Jameis Winston playing for the Saints, I think that offense is going to be fun. I think they are going to do just fine with Winston at the helm. Is he going to be as turnover-prone as he was in Tampa? It's yet to be determined, but I'm going to take the Packers and Aaron Rodgers to win. Apparently, all it took to quiet Aaron Rodgers was Randall Cobb. Apparently, that's all he wanted and so he's good now and he's going to return to MVP form everything's going to be just fine so this is hilarious and I'm waiting on the article to load CBS Sports NFL week one picks if you want to go and read this article it's it's pretty good written by John Breach he gives his picks CBS NFL right here and he broke down the decision on why the Packers and saints game is being played in jacksonville why the new orleans saints opted to play in jacksonville as opposed to any of the other locations that they could have chose breaks down rogers has struggled in florida three and four as a quarterback with a qb rating of 78.1 when he's gone and play teams in the state of florida it, it even goes into the depths of not wanting the packers fans to think that they were getting a vacation uh, like an attractive spot to go to for a road game like not wanting to go to tampa or miami. going to miami right so they opted to go to jacksonville where that's not an attractive <laughs> vacation spot didn't want to have to deal with playing in tampa bay and the possibility of a divisional opponent going and cheering against them right like buccaneers fans buying up a bunch of tickets to this game and going and becoming an extra road environment for the new orleans saints right like not not wanting them to have to go to a hostile territory for them traditionally through their division also you break down the insane humidity of the state of florida at this point in time of the year a team coming down from green bay is not going to be able to breathe man and the new orleans saints they know something about humidity new orleans isn't that great at this time of year either i'm telling you Jameis Winston I love this I loved it when he got picked up by the Saints he is going to pop off I said this a couple of years ago when he had his 30 TD 30 interception year through for over 5,000 yards I said look Jameis Winston is an exceptional NFL quarterback if a he could see and b could stop throwing interceptions and now he's got LASIK surgery on his eyes that's one he can see now so now he's not throwing to the other team if he threw for 5,000 yards without being able to see, what's he going to be able to do now with Sean Payton as his head coach? And he can see. And Michael Thomas is one of his receivers. And he's got Alvin Kamara in the backfield. I love the Saints on this one. I think the Saints are going to be a sneaky good, really good football team. People are made really uncomfortable by Jameis Winston being a starting quarterback again right now in New Orleans because they just are afraid that he's going to throw a billion picks again, which is very very possible he may have a couple of games this year where he still throws a ton of interceptions but i expect that number to come down by about 10 he's going to throw probably somewhere 20 maybe a little bit less than 20 interceptions this year i like Jameis winston a lot in new orleans is this like that meme that we were talking about just a couple of days ago where it's like, oh, the receiver's probably down there somewhere. Let me just go ahead and throw it up. Instead, in James's 100%. case, he's got LASIK, and he's like, oh, no, he is down there somewhere. I see him now. <laughs> there you go. also think he's got a better offensive line playing in front of him than he ever did in Tampa Bay. The situation's a lot better. I like the arm talent. I, I just, maybe he really was just that high risk that high reward but I'm gonna take the Saints to win for those reasons that I detailed I don't think Green Bay's I think Green Bay's gonna get off the plane and they're gonna need like 
uh, the the equivalent of of SpongeBob inside Sandy's uh, in, inside Sandy's dome and SpongeBob, where he had to have a water tank over his head. Flip that. The Packers are going to need an oxygen mask over their faces when they step into Jacksonville, and they're not going to be able to breathe. They're like, "What is this water in there?" I didn't know about this. Chicago Bears at Los Angeles Rams. This is Sunday Night Football, seven twenty NBC. Seven and a half point favorites are the Rams. I'm excited to see how Stafford plays outside of Detroit and I think he's going to play well I'm going to take the Rams to win this game at home I like the Chicago Bears I like Justin Fields if he ever gets to play at any point during the season I'm going to be really excited for him I think he's a great kid great quarterback really good for that organization but he's not but he's Andy not Dalton. right exactly it's going to be Andy Dalton playing and until Fields get his, gets his shot I'm going to have a hard time picking the Bears to win anything so I'm going to go Rams and I'm excited to see how Stafford plays Watching Andy Dalton play football at this point in his career is watching Graham Mertz play football at Wisconsin right now. You just can't stretch the ball down the field. There's just not a consistent passing game in Chicago at this point, whereas I think there's going to be a consistent passing game in Los Angeles. You now take a system quarterback out of Los Angeles and you bring in a quarterback that has been traditionally known for his great arm talent, for his ability to throw the football down the field, for his ability to spread it to a lot of different receivers. I mean, Detroit at times when Matthew Stafford was there, he was consistently throwing the ball more than majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL. It was it was about as air raid as it got in some seasons in Detroit because they just didn't have a rushing attack. Matthew Stafford is now being paired with one of the better offensive minds in the game right now. This is going to work. I like the Rams. It may be by more than seven and a half points right here. I, I think I like the Rams to cover in this game at home okay. on Sunday Night Football. I like that. I like it whenever we talk uh, spreads and we decide that teams are gonna the teams are gonna win by a lot. Last game to pick right here, divisional rival for my Cleveland Browns, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens at the Las Vegas Raiders, seven fifteen p.m. ESPN and ABC Monday Night Football. This is gonna be a fun matchup. It's going to be a fun. There are a lot of fun week one games. Like you go, you don't, you go down the slate and it's like, oh, there's great games. Yeah, I'm going to be interested in watching that. I'm going to pick the Ravens to win on the road. I don't feel great about it. Uh, I was watching a video just yesterday talking about the Las uh, Vegas Raiders and how there's some things coming out of camp where it's like there's a lot of players that are just disgruntled and there are some players just leaving the team or wanting trades. And on the just, flip side, the Ravens have injuries all over the place. You lose the, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards today. The Ravens are fearing that there's po- partially torn ACL there. So there's definitely stuff going on on both sides of the, uh, both sides of the spectrum. I just I, I like Derek Carr as a player. I think he's talented. I think that offense is good. That defense was really bad last season. And they're yes, gonna it need was. To get a lot better. And if Lamar is playing in this game, if as long as it's not the playoffs, I feel comfortable taking him in a game like this to win. So I'm going to take the Ravens. Las Vegas had one of the worst rush defenses in all of the NFL last year. Lamar Jackson's going to pick it apart. I like the Ravens to win this game. I like them to cover. It is only four and a half points. So if you win, you still got a pretty good shot to cover there. The Ravens are dealing with some injuries, but I don't care who you stick at running back next to Lamar Jackson, and it really hasn't mattered. He's played alongside J.K. Dobbins, now Gus Edwards, also Mark Ingram. He's played beside several running backs. I don't care who's playing running back there. You know why those running backs succeed? Not only do they have a great offensive line, they've got a quarterback that you're more scared of carrying the football than the running back. So... I still think this rushing attack is going to be good with Lamar Jackson. Will the passing attack be good? No, but I don't think it matters against the Raiders here in week one. And also like that Ravens defense a lot. A lot more than I like the Raiders now hearing that they're disgruntled and whatnot. And you also talk about the turnover margin for the Las Vegas Raiders last year. It was minus 11. That just is a sign 
that Derek Carr is having to do too much to make up for the garbage that is around him. Also, do I trust Gruden as a head coach in, in Las Vegas right now? No. No, I do not. I feel like the wheels are getting ready to fall off, fall off of this thing as they've now made their move to Las Vegas. They're getting to play in their new stadium for the first time, so maybe that ends up being a home field advantage for them in this game, but I still like the Ravens a lot more than I like the Raiders. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And again, obviously things on both sides of the ball that teams are struggling with but i do like lamar jackson against that rush defense so that was it for our sunday selections as the nfl season gets started tonight reminding you of our picks here for tonight's ball game as the dallas cowboys take on the tampa bay buccaneers at 720 on nbc we both like the bucks and we like them a lot tonight it's going to be a fun game. Once again, 720 NBC Thursday Night Football, Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line when we come back. Five minutes left in the Thursday edition of On the Line. Phone line still open, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Made our NFL picks as well as talked a lot about things going on in college football had a conversation with Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast to preview Saturday's game against Alabama State as well as give us some of his takes about the Penn State game a team that he does not like very much right now if you missed any of today's show go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and iHeartRadio last segment of the show today and I want to go back to college football now talking about a big game of the SEC this upcoming weekend but it's not the conference game it is number 15 Arkansas or excuse me number 15 Texas taking on Arkansas 6 p.m. ESPN but with a win I guess you could say Arkansas will have a chance to get inside the top 25 Lance I want to break this down a little bit we'll talk about this tomorrow we're not giving picks on this I just find this to be a very intriguing matchup this weekend slate of games so how can Arkansas get better from what we saw in week one, whereas at one point, 10 minutes left in the third quarter, the Razorbacks were losing to Rice 17-7? to Well, they've got to be able to develop a little bit of a passing game because Texas's defense is still a Big 12 defense, and if you want to get over the top of them, you probably can do it every now and then. 128 yards passing, I believe, for Arkansas last week against Rice. Look, I know that you control the ground game, 245 yards rushing, but you're going to have to be able to establish a consistent passing game. You've got receivers on the outside that you can trust. Traylon Burks, Trey Knox. KJ Jefferson's got to be able to get the ball to those guys against Texas in order for them to have a chance. I think that's the key to this game. Getting some explosive plays downfield, looking for Trey Knox and Traylon Burks, and actually hitting those guys in stride. I know this Texas defense only gave up 18 points to Louisiana Lafayette, and they're a good team, but at home, Arkansas has got to be able to find those explosive plays, and I think they will a couple of times. KJ Jefferson against Rice was 12 for 21 for 128 yards, a touchdown and interception, had a 54.5 adjusted quarterback rating, 6.1 yards per attempt. Not great against Rice. Of course, the good things that we could talk about about Arkansas now getting into how these two teams match up with each other, something that I want to point out and how these two teams match up for each other. Texas didn't turn the ball over in game one against Lafayette, but Arkansas consistently last year forced a lot of turnovers in this first game against Rice forced Rice quarterback Wiley Green into three interceptions and Jalen Catalan the fantastic safety across the top for the Razorbacks he had two of them 
and he totaled up 83 return yards off of those interceptions as well you want to talk about a great matchup it's this Texas passing game that found its stride a little bit that was efficient against Louisiana Lafayette and did some good things with Hudson Carter quarterback against this Arkansas secondary that could force you into some mistakes yeah 265 yards passing from Texas last week and yeah I agree with you it's going to be a lot of fun to see both of these passing games and how they interact with each other because Arkansas from what we saw last week not a very developed passing game even though they've got talented receivers Texas very uh, they seem like they got their stuff going but they're going to have to face an Arkansas secondary that is known for getting interceptions like you just said Jalen Catalan is a really talented safety so I think you've got fun matchups all across the board and for Arkansas to have this game at home makes this game incredibly competitive and fun for anybody to watch and I like that we're talking about this game because like you said it's probably not the biggest game of the week but it's definitely some a game that I think a lot more eyes should be on because you start to break down some of these matchups both offensively and defensively and it's going to be a fun game for the Razorbacks, I think. I don't think they're going to – I'm not projecting them to win right now, but I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than some media people may be projecting right now. Talking about the rushing attacks for these two teams, we know Texas can run. Bijan Robinson's a good running back. They've got a dual-threat quarterback in Hudson Cart. Really, whoever you put at quarterback at Texas can run the football as well between their two options, between Thompson and Cart both. But – my question is, can Arkansas stop it? Because Arkansas got pushed around up front last year. We talk about how great these linebackers are, but they had over 200 tackles last season because their defensive line was getting pushed back seven yards. Yeah, and when you look at what they did against Rice, and I know it's Rice, but they gave up 2.3 yards per carry and only 88 yards rushing, but you would expect that you would expect Texas to have a little bit more success than Rice, right? I don't think that Texas is going to be able to run for like 300 yards all over Arkansas but I definitely think it's going to be a factor in this game I think Robinson is going to get his own yards per carry what do you think it's at uh for Texas for Texas I'm gonna say 4.6 4.7 yeah think that's fair I was thinking about four and a half and I think if they do that they're gonna win the football game and I like Texas in this ball game and we'll do this game selection tomorrow as well as all of our other college football picks as well this one's primed up to be a really good football game Texas Arkansas 6 p.m ESPN Saturday night you'll be well removed from the Auburn-Alabama State game. You'll be able to catch it. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. One more show to go before we wrap up our work week. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.